Welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz, and Adam, may I be the first to say, May the 6th, bewit you. Or it doesn't th- work that way, does it? You can't just apply it to any days. No, I thought it was going to... I thought you had a thing. I thought there was a, a thing attached to it. Like, I saw somebody on... On uh, Twitter yesterday, uh, say May the Fifth Element, because oh. there's a movie called The Fifth Element. And, okay, so uh, let me redo it. May the Sixth <laughs> Sense be with you. <laughs> Is that better? <sighs> I don't groan, <laughs> groan, heavy sigh. Uh, <laughs> Open Source is the CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show. You can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians. But this week, though, it's just going to be the news, including lockdown protests. Are authorities coming down more harshly on the stop laws? And is there anything more that can be legally done by the authorities to perhaps squash harder? Then we will talk about the allegations about misconduct in the Canadian forces and the deepening controversy there as the federal government is getting hammered for their lack of action. And finally, we will talk about what's going on at Laurentian University. How did an Ontario university end up on the verge of bankruptcy, cutting dozens of programs and firing over 100 professors? But first, long-term care continues to be an issue here in Ontario, even though COVID is mostly hitting the younger age groups now. But there were two big reports last week, about 600 pages in total, written about uh, what happened in long-term care homes last year at the start of the pandemic and uh, to a certain degree getting into what happened um, before the pandemic in the last several years that uh, led to such a horrible loss of life in um, Ontario's long-term care homes, 3,700 resident deaths in total in long-term care since the start of the pandemic. So uh, when you think 8,000 people have died now in Ontario, Mm -hmm. that's uh, half of them. (laughs) And uh, 11 or 12 staff as well. Yeah, that's true. I think it was 11. Um, yeah, so and the, the heat is on, right? It's as we, we've seen this week, uh, both in Queens Park and outside of that. Uh, Minister Fullerton is is feeling the pressure, mm-hmm. um, although there there's quite a bit of you know deflect, deny, and blame everybody else but themselves. Some of that getting quite interesting, including uh, Fullerton running away from that presser, and you could just hear. I, I'm sure you, you saw it, but there was this comment mm-hmm. just trailing from one of the press saying, "I'm wondering why you're running out." So just <laughs> literally shut things down and ran away. The uh, other comment was she something to the effect of, "I will not be spoken to that way." She went full on Karen in in uh, Queens Park <laughs> there. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this trying to blame, and I guess Ford came back on Wednesday mm-hmm. and was tr- doing a bit of the same thing, saying that he was he would take responsibility. He interestingly also said that he would be personally responsible, which is a very loaded thing to say. But if you're taking personal responsibility for all of this, then I would say that your career is effectively over. 
right? Mm-hmm. It should be. But as we know in politics, it can be a, a weird place. But yeah, with Fullerton too, she just like was trying to blame Horvath, Andrew Horvath of the NDP and the NDP saying that, well, they didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, they've only, they've only officially been in opposition for three years. And beyond that, they, they weren't the government or propping up a government. So I don't know how they were supposed to do anything, but this, this seems to be the... Uh, this seems to be the approach rather than get into the meat and potatoes of these reports. And they are damning. And it's, it's not just, not just the two that came out. I found out that there's of course the one, the military did their own analysis of what had happened. Mm. Patient, Woodsman, the staffing advisory group. There are reports galore on this. None of them good. There's nothing. Po- I guess the only positive thing you can say um in the past couple of days is that there's an updated directive saying that the seniors can get out again, can gather with precautionary measures. Um, so we're seeing that door open, even though it's been, well, it's a year. It's pretty mm. much a year at this point where it's been locked, locked down more than anyone long-term care and in, and most seniors residences. So uh, that's something. So that, that's, that is a positive note, but that's nothing to do with, uh, everything that's happened more so the it's to do with everything else like vaccines coming online and the majority of them being vaccinated mm-hmm. right. yeah uh, t- to focus on fullerton now i, I mean th- this performative whatever it was in queen's park i mean and for andrea horvath to get up every single day and go why won't she resign why won't she resign yeah I mean, that's yeah I, I hate that. I mean, that's the kind of political stuff. It's a bit much I as well. It's, yeah, it's like, and it's not accomplishing anything. It's it's literally not accomplishing anything because what is like what does she expect Doctor Fullerton to do? Get up and go, you know, Mister Speaker, I had a different answer prepared, but I think the opposition leader is right. I'm resigning as effective immediately. I mean, is Life that drop? Right. I mean, that's not that is not going to happen. Um, If anything, there's going to be probably a cabinet shuffle in the fall so that, you know, ostensibly the the government can find an election ready. Yeah. And then they'll 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 move her to somewhere, you know, safe, like, I don't know, Minister of Transportation. (laughs) Or, or just some, or just you know, shuffle her off like she needs a break or something because she was, you know, she and Doug Ford are on the phone like all hours of the night talking about long term care. If Doug Ford is to be believed, um, but the flip I think side it may have happened once, right? This uh, is one phone call becomes I'm on the phone all the time. Right? That's I think that's fair. Yeah. Uh, but then you know, at the, to allude to what you were talking about, where Fullerton reacted to um, to Horvath and in question period. I will not be spoken to. And she literally said that I will not be spoken oh, to yeah. manner, which I'm pretty sure is almost lifted uh, entirely from, you know, Serial Mom or Sunset Boulevard or someone, one of those movies. But it just, mm. you know, she, she was trying a trick that Doug Ford pulled a couple of weeks ago when he had had enough of Andrea Horvath talking to, talking at him through the camera, which is another annoying quirk of Andrea Horvath. But mm-hmm. uh, it just like to, to throw the blame on her and the NDP, it's like, well, why aren't you doing more with none of your government authority? <laughs> you know, and, and Mike, Mike Schreiner, who's our local MPPs, you know, he, he, he put it best uh, at an event last week when he said, you know, 
everyone's to blame for it, myself included, because, you know, nobody was making this a priority um, before the pandemic. And he's right. Everybody's to blame for this. But the problem is the Ford government is in charge right now. And it isn't just what happened at the outset of the pandemic. I mean, because mm. the reports say quite clearly, or at least the, the long-term commission, long-term care commission one did say quite clearly, like uh, the province is not at fault for the start of a global pandemic. However, uh, 1,900 of the 3,700 people that died in long-term care died in the first wave, which mm. means that the 1,700 some odd people who died after in the second wave, those are, that's definitely um you know the responsibility of the provincial government because none like nothing that was learned or was supposed to be learned from the first wave was then applied to the second wave and we, you know we have short memories too but you know we remember from december november december watching the case against go up up and up and watching how reticent the provincial government was from taking action at least until after Christmas when I guess, you know, nobody would be worried about, you know, having to lock down anymore or whatever. But it just there is a lot of blame to go along, go to go around. Oh, but yeah. I don't, I don't think I don't think the biggest portion, the, the biggest piece of it goes to Andrea Horvath, who had absolutely zero power to act. Oh, yeah. And I th- the um. Like you get, you get, almost get the impression that they thought that this was going to go away, even with everything that had happened in 2020. That was just like, okay, well, we've seen this, but even then, as as that, as you say, Christmas period or whatever, there was talk of the third wave then, and this is something that they don't seem to want to listen to. I'm going to say people that they don't like, but that's not fair. Mm-hmm. They're getting professional advice from tons and tons of people when it's kind of like climate change when 95% of science is saying, you know, this mm-hmm. is how it's going to go. And they're like, well, you know, we'll study it and whatever. But even if he, Ford was trying to make it out as if this has been in like decades worth. And to some degree it is decades mm-hmm. worth of, of neglect. Mm-hmm. But even if we just start from the point where we knew that in the 21st century pandemic is going to be a thing, which was the SARS crisis of 2003. And there were steps taken then. And actually, Teresa Tam was one of the experts in on that at the time. And they're saying, you need to be ready. You need to have stockpiles ready and a plan and a revised plan and update all that. That came out of SARS in 2003. Fine. So then they have the stockpile. The stockpile goes bad. And I think when either just before the this pandemic, the pandemic started, that they were destroying the stockpile because it was useless. So the majority of the stuff was useless and not recharged, right? Not seeing mm-hmm. that this was coming. That's not to say that PPE and all the protective stuff would have would have halted this, but it definitely would have helped in the early days because I think people, as you say, people forget. People forget the chaos of like, well, we don't have any masks, we don't have any gloves, and you've got people wearing garbage bags. Um, to try and deal with this disaster, right? So mm-hmm. you can't say that they didn't, couldn't see this. There were people that saw this coming. It's like, you should do this. But then it, it's like, it kind of falls by the wayside. It's like, well, you know, it's oh, another, there's no way. Another pandemic? Nah, probably not. But then we got SARS times 20, right? Or whatever. I don't mm-hmm. know what the the factor is in terms of, but we we were Canada was a hot zone for SARS. We forget this because it was such a small number of um, 
It was a small number of deaths. Lots of people got it. I don't know if it was in, if it was even Canada. It was mostly the Toronto area. Uh, yeah, and Vancouver to a degree, right? I think yeah, it was those two. But yeah, so you see, that's far. We're reaching far enough back where it's like it's it's a little bit hazy, right? Mm-hmm. But um, n- nothing about what's going on right now is hazy. Now, if they're saying if Ford and company are saying they're going to be responsible and take personal responsibility for it, let's let's see the plan, right? Because they're not prepared. We weren't prepared in twenty late 2019 2020 they're not prepared now at least i don't think so. there's 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 talk of it but it's we're still just throwing stuff and now it's supposed to be you know vaccines will fix everything vaccines are not alone will not fix long-term care problems which are long-term mm-hmm and it's worth pointing out, too, and uh, I am concerned this is going under the wire. I found it on the Globe and Mail. Uh, it was a report from Reuters, uh, so it's wire service, so literally anyone could pick it up. But uh, two of Canada's biggest long-term care operators paid bonuses to their executives for 2020. So extended care uh, page. Yeah, uh, the CEO got a bonus. He got a smaller bonus uh, than he sh- could have gotten, um, but he still got a bonus. And then the, um, yeah, here it is. Dr. Michael Guerreri, uh, $1.7 million in 2020, which is down from the $2.09 million he got in 2019. But uh, he still got a bonus of, of $467,000. Um, and then Sienna paid its CEO, uh, Nitin Jan, uh, $1.23 million in 2020, uh, and that included compensation from his previous role in the company. He was promoted in June, but he got a bonus of $336,375. So that's a little obscene. Nothing makes my blood pressure and the blood pressure of many rise (laughs) other than statements such as what you just said. But again, that's one of the key things that came out of this report, that care should be the sole focus of the Mm -hmm. entities responsible. That's a direct quote. It's like you should be caring for people and everything that you just mentioned. I'm finding it so difficult not to swear right now. I will not (laughs) do it until we become just a pure podcast. But uh, uh, yeah, that's. That's frustrating. And to me, yeah. in my opinion, darn near criminal. So, Well, it's also doubly frustrating because, I mean, at the end of the day, you can go and look at the 87 recommendations of the Independent Commission's report, which are a lot of the same things like that have been talked about for months, like four hours of care per patient per day and the need to hire like hundreds and hundreds of PSWs and to give them like exclusivity so that they work at one place, only one place. They make a full-time salary there and are able to afford, you know, a life so that they don't have to work three jobs at the same time. So that eats into shareholders, uh, profits, right? So, well, not to mention the (laughs) bonus packages. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you're making one, I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's why it doesn't happen. I mean, if you're, if you're like base, you know, if, if, you know, you, you make $1.71 million in a year and $500,000 of that rounding up is bonus. That means you made over a million, your, your salary is over a million dollars. And I mean, that's just, I'm not saying, I'm not, I don't go full Scotty Hertz and look at 
wealth crimes. <laughs> but I, I, you know, pe- pe- good people should get paid well for good work. I am not against that. But I mean, in a, in a year like this, and you're still dipping in, and you're taking a half a million dollars as a bonus during the worst year long-term care yeah. has ever seen ever. That's that that's obscene. Yeah. Bad Speaking, people should get paid nothing for crap work, right? So right. Speaking of obscenities, um, there have been a lot of uh, I've been calling them scoff laws. Um, Scotty may have harsher language about them, but uh, <laughs> people, discretion is advised. <laughs> people who are breaking the COVID lockdown rules, and uh, we have a couple of like really glaring examples of that locally. Um, the one of the Smaller ones, I guess, is the bridges at uh, Tilsonburg, which is this golf club that was open for like two weeks straight, even though the police were literally outside the doors handing people tickets as they were leaving. Um, the bigger one, though, is the Trinity Bible Chapel, which has ha- been habitually um, breaking the rules, throwing the doors wide opening, packing the church as much as they can. Uh, The attorney general's office took the unusual step last weekend of ordering the church to remain closed, having the locks changed and everything. The question is, was the message being received? Was, uh, you know, are these groups going to heed the warning as handed out? Or is this... uh, you know how, exactly how they were hoping or concerned that it was going to go down. Well, I I think the only way that they're going to heed the warning is if they all get COVID and some of them die. And I know that sounds bleak, but that's probably what it's going to take. And it's not that I'm I'm not wishing that on these people at all. Mm-hmm. But there is there is a there is a pattern here, and I think I've said this before too that yeah you you have to respect people's rights to, to a degree, right? You, people mm-hmm. believe what they believe. There's nothing in the Christian Bible that says that you're to do what they do on a Sunday. There's nothing. Mm-hmm. There's, zero, mm-hmm. there's zero. So they made it up. It's what they believe. Fine. You're allowed that under the Constitution of the nation. And if they did all start getting sick and some of them did die, that's like, well, I guess that's their right, whatever. The problem is, is that when they're out in the community, if you have this set of beliefs that extends to you thinking that COVID isn't real and you're putting other people at risk and you're also going to choke up the ICU because you're sick and take these resources that you're, you're so adamantly determined to challenge, then that therein is the problem. It would mm. be fine if they existed in a bubble and just went to church and all got, well, I guess if they existed in a bubble, they wouldn't get sick. Right. But and I, you know, that that's what it's, sadly, that's what it's going to have to take because they're never going to listen. It's the same with this. There's, where's the challenge in, in Manitoba, right? Again, mm-hmm. it's four churches getting together, going to court and saying, you know, you're, some of the comments are like, you know, we don't care. You're, the data's flawed. The numbers are inflated. This COVID thing, uh, we should just be able to gather if we want. Then there's the people who will say, well, I'm not, I'm not really an anti-masker, but I think our rights are being violated. It's like, give that some thought, man. And then I, I don't know if you've seen it. <laughs> one, of, one of the more famous uh, anti-maskers, COVID isn't real people, Kevin J. Johnson. The f- he's famous in certain circles from mm-hmm. Mississauga, trying to be mayor of Calgary. Racist. Um, I don't want to get too deep into this guy because I don't like him at all. <laughs> but he's still putting out these stupid videos and he is ill. He mm-hmm. says it's 
you know, because he's a noted scientist, he's saying it's bronchitis and then it's pneumonia. He's pretty much got COVID. And with his dumbass little videos, is <laughs> spreading it, even if it was pneumonia. And it was contagious and he was spreading that. Wouldn't you say that's a really stupid thing to do? Mm-hmm. So that this is the problem until you like take the phones away from these people and barricade up the church and, and close the locks or change the locks. Um, even if your lock company is going to get one star reviews because yeah. people are idiots. Uh, and that, that's unfortunate. They're just doing what the cops told them, right? But Yeah, they were getting this, a paycheck, which is, you know, one of the things that these people claim to support it's is a small like business. One, yeah, supporting right. small business, making a paycheck, and that's you know what J and A Lock did. They they got a call to for their services. They were paid for their services, and people were flooding them with one star reviews. So bravo! Mm-hmm. <laughs> but this is this is proof. I mean, there are, there are there's limits, right? There's limits to free speech. There's limits to what you're right. You have these rights for sure. There is there is a limit to them. It's not no. even so much as limits. It's, uh, you know, Trinity Bible Church. It's a religious institution. Um, it can hold, you know, in religious institutions can hold services for up to 10 people. Theoretically, uh, Trinity Bible Church could do half-hour services every Sunday. They bring in, start at 10 o'clock, bring in 10 people, have a half-hour service, Take 15 minutes to wipe down the pews, bring in another 10 people, do the same service. Or this is, and I looked up the rules. This is also allowed. You, they could have drive-in services. They could bring yeah. in 10 people who, you know, you know, perhaps people who are, you know, physically disadvantaged or something. Mm-hmm. Um, people who can't, you know, sit in a car for long periods. But they could bring in 10 people. Fill that capacity, have everyone else sit in the parking lot in their own cars and listen to the sermon um, as as it's being delivered and listen to the service as it's being delivered. They can do this. The rules allow them to do this. This, Mm -hmm. I'm going to say something bold. I don't think this is about religion and religious exemption and free speech. I think this is about we're going to be jerks, we're going to be dicks, we're going to make a point, and we're going to enjoy all the freaking attention. I mean, Randy Hillier doesn't drive halfway across the province because he loves church. You know, he's doing it yeah. because that's where attention is, and he's going to seek out attention. And 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 on top of it all, you know, there are churches all over the place. There are churches all over Guelph that are holding their services uh like royal city mission the presbyterian church downtown the united church uh the church the anglican church the the church church on the hill the catholic church and, you know, the, and, and the mosque and the synagogue yeah it's like they're, they're yeah, yeah the, the the you know the sikh temple they are all having services online you can log on to youtube or facebook live or wherever why is why are those religious institutions I mean, maybe they're not okay uh, with having the, the remote services, but they, they are adaptable and are delivering uh, worship. And, I mean, you know, my mom's church reaches out by phone. Uh, they have church members talk to each other on the phone with ma- sending out mailers with, like, updates about how things are going and the church financials and all that. Other churches seem to cope. Why can't Trinity Bible Chapel cope? Because it's not about the religion; it's about making the noise and getting the attention. Well, yeah, a ton of it, I, th- I believe, is being driven by the egos of whomever it is at the top. 
Yeah. And they've all they they've tapped into this thing, this this um, anti. Well, that it's weird. Weirdly, it's like they're making trying to make an anti-government argument, yet they're using st- structures like the Constitution to make <laughs> the argument, right? Because I bet yeah. if you went back and I bet if you went back in time, like to when the Constitution was signed in the early '80s, probably the same institutions were like, oh no, no, it's against our, you know. The Constitution is against our beliefs. It's not right. We only have one Constitution. That's the Constitution of God. I didn't realize we were just going to go. <laughs> I hope people don't feel that we're bashing on Christians or anything. Uh, no, no. At this point, because that's that's not our intention at all, at all. But no, no. There, the, there is a pattern here, right? So yeah. And and another example to to yeah. get out of the to get out of the church, to get out of church mode for a second, <laughs> is this you. I'm sure you saw the rodeo in Alberta. Yes. Yes, Bowden, yes, Alberta yes. had a, a rodeo, uh, which is pretty much the, you know, having a rodeo is so Alberta it hurts, right? How can we how can we work on our identity in the middle of this? We'll have a rodeo, right? Mm-hmm. The province with, the, like, what's up until now, until very recently, been the worst, weakest lockdown rules. And they have the worst per capita case count in the nation. In fact, I think it may be the worst per capita case count in North America right now. I think it's second to Michigan. Second to Michigan? Okay, well, they're neck and neck probably, right? I'd imagine. But it's bad. The numbers are bad. Mm-hmm. So why are they bad, right? <laughs> if you have restrictions <laughs> on shops and that, no, you don't necessarily have that. But if you're going to have events that are potentially super spreader, right? If you, if you go back to, like, say, uh, Doug Ford keeps trying to blame, oh, the airport's bringing the variants. The variants mm-hmm. are here. Right there, this mm-hmm. stuff is here already. It just takes one. How did how did COVID come to Canada? It came with one case, one person came, and then there was COVID. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's or it, I'm I'm oversimplifying, but initially it's like, oh, we found somebody and they have this thing. So to blame it on that is fairly ridiculous at this point. But again, trying to spin it politically, and I'm surprised with. Um, at least Jason Kenny, even though he's really pissing off a lot of his base and voters, at mm-hmm. least he's, I, I can't believe I'm giving the guy the benefit of the doubt here, but <laughs> at least he's leaning into s- to science to a degree and is also saying, you know, we cannot overwhelm this healthcare system. And I'll put in parentheses that we really want to privatize, but that's what they have right <laughs> now, right? What they have right now is what they have. And he's saying, if we don't do this, we're going to get crushed and they're on in the process of getting crushed. And I think a lot of the anti-lockdown, anti-masker rhetoric and people and gangs, let's call them gangs, mm. um, are a lot to do with that. It has to be. Right. But, to, to drive home the point too, though, I mean, Alberta's had some of the worst per capita cases. I mean, if I think if it were the equivalent of uh, Ontario, if Ontario had the same cases per capita, it would be like six, seven thousand cases per day. And we just got over like four thousand cases. Um, mm. But the thing with with Alberta is that they they have had lately the worst um, number of cases per capita, but they've also had some of the most lax, quote-unquote, lockdown rules. You have these people who are, like, Mm -hmm. super mad about lockdown, even though they're not really under lockdown. You know, you could, until very recently, I I believe, I'm not sure if it was among the more stringent rules, but until recently, you could still eat on a patio in Alberta. (laughs) You know, you could still go out to eat in Alberta. Um, You haven't been able to eat out in Ontario in months. But, yeah, to, to, to 
drive that point home, though. It's it, it has become a political thing, and it really isn't you know meant to be political. But we'll have to leave that there mm-hmm. and come back to it another time, as we more than likely will. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then come back with uh, some more news. You're listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. our Royal Cat Records pick of the week. Royal Cat Records 21 MacDonnell, the little big record store in downtown Guelph. Still pick up only these days. And that song will be familiar to some of you who have been madly binging all kinds of shows on Netflix, etc. during the lockdown. That was dut, 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 spelt like King Tut, 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 by Jillian Hills. And that sound is supposed to represent the busy signal, which uh, a lot of you have met these days, whether it's trying to book vaccination appointments or doing your taxes. Adam, <laughs> I haven't heard a busy signal in like a lot of years, but I've heard more in the past two weeks because I guess the system is just so totally choked that you just hear, duh, 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 duh. Um, Maybe you don't. Yes. <laughs> You're like, what? what's he talking about? He must still have a landline or something. I don't know. I don't, to be honest. Yeah, no. I, I held on. I was able to, I, I had like one issue while I was filling up my taxes that I had to, I felt like I was going to have to end up phoning CRA, but it was, I was able to figure it out on my own. So oh, I, congratulations. I was, I was, I was spared. I was spared the indignity of the busy signal. Yeah, or your color, 962. What? Busy, busy <laughs> signal, whatever that is. Sounds like yeah. something from the 20th century. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Enough old jokes. Because uh, we have serious things to discuss, of course. Um, we talked a few weeks ago about this Canadian forces situation with uh, allegations of misconduct. Uh, we saw the head of the defense staff, um, General Vance, he had to go, and then it was uh, Admiral McDonald, he had to go, because he also had allegations against him. This week, it was the commandant of the military school of intelligence, or the school of military intelligence, he's on temporary leave because of um allegations of some kind of misconduct it's not clear if it was sexual misconduct or some other form of misconduct um but either way uh just misconduct all over the place uh the liberal government announced last week there is going to be a new inquiry coming uh just six six years after the completion of a previous inquiry which uh is either a testament to government redundancy or just a government that's trying desperately to change the channel and uh, try and get out of a very, a very bad PR situation when you're the 
prime minister who has uh, set himself the title of fe- the the most feminist at a time when you have uh, 411 female victims in the Canadian forces talking about how they were sexually assaulted or harassed or abused in some way. Mm-hmm. And there was that uh, article about how in mid-April there was I think close to like 5,000 individuals have filed sexual misconduct or gender discrimination uh, complaints, some of them dating back to the 80s. So this is like a 40-year arc. It probably goes back further, both in the Canadian Forces and in the Department of Defense. And there's, there's actually been a fund set up for them. This this kind of slid under the radar because it, it should I think it should have been something that was a bit more in the forefront, but with everything that's going on. I guess it hasn't, but so there was an eight hundred million dollar compensation fund set up for the personnel and a hundred million for civilian employees, which speaks to this systemic and deep problem, as it's been referred to more than once, institutional crisis mm-hmm. that the Canadian Armed Forces and the Department of Defense is having. So what do we do? We have and we'd love our commissions, committees, and <laughs> inquiries in Canada. I've said this before, right? So what do we do? We set up another one, right? Now, Louise Arbour, who is leading this, ex-Supreme uh, Court Justice and also an involved, a, a legal mind of renown, is 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 going to head this, this inquiry. But mm-hmm. I've heard it mentioned in more than one place, media and otherwise, that it, this, it will, it may accomplish something, but be, with elections looming and the amount of time that it takes to do these inquiries, is this something that's going to get bumped past any election cycle that we might see, which may be soon because of a minority or will be a little bit later because, you know, just regular election dates. So there may be a bit to that. I, By the sounds of it, you probably heard a bit of what was going on at the committees that are going on. What is it? The House of Commons Committee on National Defense mm-hmm. was, it sounded like the liberals ran out the clock on it because they started the committee, others on the committee started to discuss whether who uh, who knew what when involving Katie Telford, who is a strategic advisor to uh, Trudeau, seems to have possibly known something about General Vance back in the day, but didn't say mm-hmm. anything. But mm-hmm. then again, somebody else who didn't say anything but saying a lot now is Aaron O'Toole, who was a veteran affairs minister back in 2015, who heard the rumors about General Vance. But the inquiry into Vance back then happened to be shut down on the exact day that General Vance became the defense chief. And that is one hell of a coincidence. I'm not saying that O'Toole was involved with that, but Mm -hmm. it was a conservative government then. It's a liberal government now. Vance traversed both of these and had a long career. So, you know, who, who is... Where is where is the problem here? It's systemic. It's not just the liberals or the conservatives or whoever or committees. It's like this needs way more, way more than another committee. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there was uh, Operation Honor, which you know, great name. Um, that was where the the four hundred and eleven number came from. It was just basically mm-hmm. they were they, you know they looked at every report from April first 2016 to march 9th 2021 so this is like literally the four years and also entirely under the liberal watch um 
you know, it, it just shows that even when the system is watching, because you would think that in a situation where you have um, the government watching and marking down every instance, a soldier comes forward and says, I was sexually assaulted. I was sexually harassed. You know, you might get, you know, some re- like reticent reticence from, mm-hmm. from potential assaulters and potential, um, you know, perpetrators. But no, even while the even while this very specific aspect of misconduct was being watched, it was still like every once every four days, tick tick tick, another mm-hmm. new incident. And yeah, and, and when when that happens, there is no other way to look at it but systemic. But of course, we're interested in playing the blame game instead. So the conservatives are like going on this week, like got to fire Telford, got to fire Telford. And here we go again with this, you know, this performative, uh, you know, fire this person because they're, you know, they're automatically going to go, you know what, maybe I should be fired. Then it's not going to happen. And there's been some of that grumbling around Harjit Sanjan too. But of course, Harjit Sanjan is like in committee going, you know, you want to get to the bottom of this. Look at those conservatives. I mean, uh, there was some stuff going down when they were in charge. It's, I mean, be that as it may, again, the liberals have been in power for six years. This is yep. this is them. This is on them. This is their file now. This is their thing to undo. I don't care what Stephen Harper was doing. Stephen Harper is having a very good time being a board member on several boards and making himself wealthy. Say uh, la vie. Stephen Harper is a non-entity. The question is, what are you going to do right now? Because this is a gong show. And having another commission, you know, going back to the long-term care Classic. thing, yeah. having another commission that is going to come back with the same list of charges and the same, uh, you know, list of demands is not going to change a thing. This needs action now. What, what is it? What was it about former Justice Marie Deschamps' report? Like, you know, there, there were no good suggestions from that. We've got to go over and do this again. The suggestions from the Deschamps report don't apply. I hardly doubt it. What is it that didn't happen last time that should have happened? And what should we do about it now? That is the question. But instead, it is becoming another one of these these partisan fights. Well, these par- partisan slap fights. They preside. A fight actually results in a winner and a loser. But, you know, when you're just holding out your hand and waving your fingers uh, at, at the other person, you know, you're <laughs> nobody wins yeah. in that kind of fight. And that's exactly what's happening now. It's people are batting and away at the dark. Yeah. If we were further away from an election cycle, perhaps this would go differently. But the political tit for tat on this needs to be completely removed from it. And I, I don't know if that's what they're trying to do by passing this off to Louise Arbour. I don't think so. Um, but that is should like because like you said, the reports I'm I'm sure there's a cab filing cabinet somewhere. Because in the pre DF days, pre PDF days, right? <laughs> it was like it was paper. You can well, I do like pre DF. I I think that's a that's we should, we should we should <laughs> but e, but e, that. that's PDF. Yeah. Um <laughs> but so I, I think most of the people in the forces and the Department of Defense that are, that are, that know that they've there's something on them are are, are probably watching their backs pretty mm-hmm. closely right now. There was another one you mentioned some of the cases off the top. There was one that was somebody that was dismissed, but it was a bit of a they 
well, they did something, but it wasn't actually an assault. So what happened there with commander of the special ops was dismissed. He wrote mm-hmm. a character reference, and this was a few years ago for another a member of the Canadian Armed Forces. But this person that he was saying was an upstanding character was convicted of six criminal counts, including sexual assault. And those crimes and the assault were against other members of the Canadian Armed Forces. So it's not to say that the the what's going on there is strictly an, an internal problem, mm-hmm. but they've got this culture that needs to be dynamited immediately. They need to either, you know, take a, the deep dive into what is going on when what has gone on historically and maybe find another set of armed forces or some sort of structure where things are going right. Mm-hmm. So whether that means the systemic changes is pretty much starting over because structurally they've been the same forever and ever. They've consolidated some regiments, right? And this is a bit of back and forth. But structurally, if you look at troops lined up now at the armory downtown, is that set up any different than it was, say, post-World War II? Probably not, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I don't just, I don't mean just the makeup of the forces, but in mostly in the way that they do things and how they're set up and how regiments are and how they interact with one another and how rank enters into it, all of that, they need to pick that apart completely. And I just, I think it's just because it's one of those institutions that's been around as long as the nation and longer that they're having real trouble being able to get in there and who is the person that's going to get in there and poke around and say that this all has to change. Mm-hmm. It all has to, you have to start fresh. But that has to start like preferably tomorrow. And th- that, well, won't, yeah. that won't, that yeah. will not start until we get this next report back and heavens knows when that's going to be. And uh, another go. Yeah. We'll have to come back to this later <laughs> again. We'll have to come back to this later. Um, but in the meantime, I'm, I'm kind of amazed how underreported this story has gone that, you know, one of Ontario's post-secondary institutions, Laurentian, is in dire financial trouble. And it really seems like the government has no interest in helping them at all. So uh, it was discovered. I'm not sure how discovered it was or how if it was being too hidden at all but that uh laurentian was basically about 300 million dollars in debt in order to save themselves they passed this company's creditors arrangement act which allows them to take exceptional measures to try and stem the uh red ink so in this case that meant cutting 58 undergrad programs and 11 graduate programs cutting about um well, I mean, that basically affects 10% of students. About 30% of the programs that Laurentian has offered are cut. Over 100 professors have lost their jobs. Uh, a lot of blame going around, but uh, not a lot of talking about what's been lost. Like one of, se- one of, se- one of candidates, seven post-secondary midwife programs were uh, one of the few bilingual ones of its kind. Uh, the physics program at Laurentian is gone, which is kind of important because uh, Laurentian is the location of the Ontario Neutrino Lab, which is uh, two and a bit kilometers under the surface of the Earth. So it's not exactly something you can pack up and move to another location. So 
like there are very real casualties coming out of this. And again, it just seems like we are not talking about it, which is why we're talking about it. <laughs> yeah. And it, as I've said before, with, with everything that's going on, it's, it's sort of flown under the radar, but it, of course in our circles, it's, it's there very much. So um, this, yeah, as you said, 300 million in, in uh, liability um, at some point a few years ago, or at least I think it was from the 2010s on that they, they were trying very hard at Laurentian to re-energize the place. It was formed by like affiliated colleges in the, in the sixties, a very unique arrangement. Like you said, the neutrino lab is an element of that. It was like a bunch of religious colleges got together, but they also service what is, I wouldn't say the completely underserviced, but a very strong Francophonie uh, element which mm-hmm. was cut to a degree, not everything, but lots of things. Also, uh, unique indigenous programs at Laurentian cut, right? So here you've got a university and then it's multiple institutions that specialize in these things. Midwifery, like you said, um, just just completely nuked. And there was a lawsuit this past week for some of those, fed- there's two colleges and the University of Sudbury that had this special federation. It is called the federation. I'm not just saying that. Um, <laughs> it, it's gone. The Laurier, Laurier, I did that last. I need to keep <laughs> correcting myself on Laurier. Laurier is local, Laurentian. Uh, they've pretty much destroyed this agreement and relationship using as cover this. Well, we've got this giant debt, so we, we can't maintain this anymore. Mm-hmm. But, and But there's also financials that go back and forth. It was like Laurentian provided resources to these colleges and that's just gone because, well, we need this money to operate. We need whatever. They got a $10 million grant. We've got creditor protection extended till the end of August. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there's still, it's still treading water because when you think about it, what the, the cuts that you mentioned, which was uh, staffing, the staff that are going to stay took cuts. They opened up the labor agreements, which is always mm-hmm. a bad sign. They also cut labor studies, by the way. Uh, rollbacks <laughs> to the top executive. Uh, there you go. Rollbacks to the top executives, right? So the, I don't know how much that is. It's probably negligible, right? Mm-hmm. And just straight ahead cuts. All of this, and that thirty million is not a drop in the bucket, but that's what it adds up to. So you're encouraging all of this, pretty much devastating the smaller departments, mm-hmm. but yet you're still. 321 million in the hole mm-hmm. where is so if you've made back 30 million you've made these cuts there'll be long-term economic benefits i guess or savings at least is not really benefits how do you dig yourself out of that hole and this is the once these things start mm-hmm. there and there's there's no light at the end for where is the money going to come from and as you said off the top there there's no interest from Queens Park and any of this, because no. I think they have a hate on Doug Ford and Co. for post-secondary education. Mm-hmm. They don't like professor types. They don't like Toronto types, as they would say. <laughs> they don't like anybody who's taking women's studies or labor studies or things that you know. It's it's it goes back to that, and I know these you know the. Queens Park wasn't directly responsible for these cuts, but they're not doing anything to mitigate it either. They're like, well, if there's only six people in the course and it's like uh, French physics. Right. Why would you maintain that? Because there's just no net benefit to the economy, right? Because that's the way they look at it. That's And you can't look at education as something 
let's call it the classics. Yeah, but they cut math as well. They cut yeah. math. They yeah. go on and on about STEM. STEM yeah. is the future. STEM is everything. You know, because there's a heavy mining component at Laurentian too, right? That involves yeah. math and engineering and physics, yeah. among other things. And they're like, nah, well, you know, we, we need to let that go because only, you know, 7% of the, of the students are taking these things. So we have to get rid of them. But that that is not the point well, of one a of the setup. One of the like people that. they cut from the mining uh, sciences is is Dr. Nadia, and I'm going to butcher her name, but I think it's Nadia Mayak uh, Tekek. Um, but she's one of the one of the world's leading authorities in cleaning up mine waste. And if you'd think of like what's a what's an area of like future science that's going to come in handy in the Sudbury area. Mm, cleaning up mine waste, but of course mm-hmm. that's one of the first people who's out the freaking door. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the, this expert in this field that is going to become very handy in the future. So she's gone, and as you said, like things like math are gone, Mu- and, and you know the low hanging fruit, obviously, like art and music, which are, are you know, don't probably when you look at the balance sheet and you break it down by program, probably don't cost a school a lot of money to run. Um, at least not anywhere near as much as like, say a veterinary college or, um, a neutrino lab, (laughs) which we should make, which we should make clear is still going to be there because multiple schools have a, have a role in the neutrino lab. It's just including Guelph, I believe. Yeah. 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 But yeah, see, that's the thing. If, if, if you want this well-rounded place and you get rid of art, and you get rid of music, then why would people want to go there? You might not necessarily be in the program, mm-hmm. that program, but the, the benefits of those extend out outward, right? So let's, you know, you have a, cl- a class full of mining engineering students that want to go listen to, let's say, a band that formed on campus at one of the clubs. Like this, it's it extends well beyond just the course itself. And I, you know, I think well, part of this, sorry, it just, no, you know, go ahead. Yeah. Part, part of it too is, um, as, as you were saying, like the economy of it, because one of the things that the Ford government brought in was like, you have to show the connection between how many of your students go on to get jobs and, and from what programs, and this is how we're going to decide to fund things. And I, one of the, fascinatingly one of the clearest articles i read about this was actually in the financial post and i'm not inclined to give a lot of oh it in the financial post <laughs> the time of day but you know they broke it down in such a way it, it was like you know what you're right this like there's a lot of sort of messed up math going into this and and, and not just what happened at laurentia but how we fund education generally because um the ford government froze tuition but didn't supplement that with new spending so automatically schools had to try and fill that void. Mm-hmm. Um, you had lower enrollments at, at Laurentian because it's in, you know, northern areas and, you know, the Sudbury areas saw seen a dip in young people between the ages of 18 and 24. So young people want to go where there are other, uh, there, where there are other young people. And that's been more and more like Southern Ontario urban areas. Um, because of that, they haven't been able to attract a lot of international students. And this is like the unspoken secret at universities these days. You want to make gravy, you got to bring in those international students. Mm. They're the ones you can like tag with higher fees, um, higher tuition rates, um, 
all of that stuff. And then on top of that, there's this strategic management stuff going on where you have to justify the existence of a program by showing how many students, when they graduate, are able to um, be employed. And, I mean, it, it all just comes down to our, our universities job placement programs or are they institutes of higher learning because sometimes there's there's no point to higher learning higher learning is its own reward right you're you're not going <laughs> to enter a corner office with an art history degree unless you're become an art history professor and the head of the department someday but i mean no but you're probably going to put art up on the wall and appreciate it and i would imagine you'd hope so right so that's ideally but, but it also sounds like from the financial aspect that they're going to have what are they calling this the audit a value for money audit. So mm -hmm. they're going to open up 10. This isn't a forensic audit. It's a different thing. It's kind of like, it's more like, hmm, where did the money go? Uh, 10 years worth of books at Laurentian are going to be opened up by the Auditor General to see mm -hmm. just where the heck this all went or didn't go. So, yes. but that's, uh, that's another story. So they'll still be standing, but as how much of it will be standing by the end of this is the great question. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to have to stand down because that is the end of this week's show. We hope you liked it. You can stay connected to us at our website, opensourcesguelph.com. We're on Facebook and Open Sources Newswire and on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. You can download the show every Monday at our website or at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. I am on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can find my Guelph Politico news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter, and for more information on CFRU, including all scheduling information, what's on when, and what the heck is going on, check out CFRU.ca <laughs> for more information. But in the meantime, DJ Sounds Good to Me is on next here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We will be back, of course, next Thursday at 5 p.m. for more open sources, and we will see you then. Da, 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 da.